Thank you, Paul. Well, good morning and welcome again. We're so excited that you're here. My name is Derek. I'm the pastor here at Hope. And if I haven't met you, I would love to. Uh, We just finished about a six-week series on looking at the cross, where we got to take kind of a different theological angle at what Jesus' crucifixion has accomplished for us. In fact, if if, if you'll see on the front of your bulletin, those icons that we were using throughout that series are still there. Because in a lot of ways, what we're talking about today is simply the culmination of that series. We get to look at the resurrection now, and we get to talk about what Jesus' resurrection has done for us. We're going to stay in Matthew, so if you'll open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, it's also printed in your bulletin if you'd like to read there, and I'm going to read us Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our ears, that we might hear what you have to say to us this morning, that you would open our eyes, that we would see you, that you would open our hearts and soften them, that we might actually know and do That we might love the risen Christ because of what he has done for us. Because of the great love that he has given to us. Lord, thank you for Easter. This is why we get to be here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story that's been going around um, at least since the 1490s. Um, Although a lot of scholars will tell you that actually this story started about 600 B.C. And the story is that the earth is in fact round and not flat. And most people know this and most people believe this and most science has proven this. And if I were to ask most of you, except for Matt Duncan who's shaking his head, if I were to ask most of you, do you believe that the earth is round? You would say yes. And I indeed also do believe that the earth is round. But I got to tell you, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Like, I don't stay up nights thinking about the roundness of the earth. I don't really, you know, ponder that kind of thing. It doesn't really change my identity. It doesn't give me kind of any fulfillment or satisfaction in my life. It's not really something that affects me deeply. Now, this is different if you are a member of the Flat Earth Society. 
which as you may guess, is a society made up of people who do not believe that the earth is round. They believe instead that the science proving the roundness of the earth is false, that the pictures that have been taken from space are made up, that actually moon landings didn't happen, and that all of the astronauts were paid to keep quiet about how flat the earth is. See, the thing is, they don't believe it, but it actually really matters to them. Like, they got a website about it. They, they meet for these conventions. They have, like, papers that you can read. I mean, they are really into the flatness of the earth. Let me give you another example. There's another story that's kind of cropped up over the last hundred years or so in North America. That there is this tall, hairy, large-footed creature that is bounding about in, uh, in the forest of North America. I myself don't believe in Bigfoot. But again, it doesn't really affect me all that much. I don't ponder the non-existence of Bigfoot very often. I don't really, it doesn't change anything that I do. It doesn't change the way that I believe or think or act or anything. Not so much for this woman named Claudia Ackley, who was in the news the other day. She's 46 years old pretty close to my age, and she was hiking with her daughter in the forest, and they saw what appeared to be a Bigfoot, what everybody else said was a bear, but what she thinks very fervently is Bigfoot, and she really cares about it. She is kind of on a crusade now to warn the people of this area in California, like, you cannot go into this forest. You cannot go hiking because there are Sasquatches in this place, and to quote her, she says, you know, people need to stay away. These things are big. Claudia believes that we need to take the existence of Bigfoot really seriously. There is a story that the church has been telling for about 2,000 years, a little more than 2,000 years, of a man named Jesus who lived a pretty amazing life, who kind of showed up on the scene and started teaching in an incredibly powerful way that nobody had heard teach before. He started healing people of their diseases. He was making people who were blind be able to see he raised people from the dead, and then he himself was put to death on a Roman cross. He was hung there for everybody to see. And this story that the church has been telling for 2,000 years is of this man, Jesus, who died and was buried and put in a tomb with a rock that was rolled over the tomb. End of the story. But the story that the church has been telling for 2,000 years doesn't end there. Because that story continues that Jesus, a man who actually died, got up. That he was no longer dead. That he actually became alive. That he himself was bodily, physically resurrected. That he appeared to his disciples. That he appeared to these two women named Mary that we just read about. That he appeared to hundreds of others. Paul summarizes it this way in the passage that Molly read earlier, that Jesus was killed, was crucified according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised according to the scriptures. That's the encapsulation of the story that Christians have been telling for a long, long, long time. And Paul says it's that story that makes him who he is. And there, I think, is the catch for us. There's the tricky part. Because... Let's just be honest. We live in a time and a place, this place here, for the most part, doesn't have trouble believing. Everybody, everybody kind of feels like it's okay to believe in the resurrection. To say, yeah, that happened. I believe that Jesus was raised. But believing in the resurrection and having it matter to you are two different things. Believing that Jesus was raised and actually having that be the thing that makes you who you are are two different things. 
It's actually possible to know that Jesus was raised and not to know the risen Jesus. Do you see how those things have to go together? We are called not only to know that Jesus was raised, but actually to know the risen Jesus, to know the one who was raised on our behalf. To know that this story not only is true, this story that the church has been telling for thousands and thousands of years, but that it matters, that it has value. I mean, let's be honest here. We live in a pretty awesome place. It's a beautiful day outside. Like, why on earth would you spend a quarter of your weekend after you've worked all week? Why would you spend a quarter of your weekend going to church when you could be sitting in the river or at the lake or doing something, enjoying the sun? Well, friends, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't have any impact on your life, then the answer to that is you wouldn't. You'd rather just do something else. We believe something different. We believe that Jesus, not only that the truth of his resurrection, but that it matters for us. We're going to talk about three kind of reasons that matters. Three truths, really, that, that, are, that are true. If, if we are those who know the risen Christ and not just know that he is risen, but actually know him, if we have seen him and know him, then these things are going to be true about us. Here's the first one. If you know Jesus, the risen Jesus, if it matters to your life, then there is actually going to be hope in your life where there was not hope before. There is going to be hope in your life where oftentimes there is hopelessness. Now think back on these women, these two women named Mary who show up at Jesus' tomb. They're there uh, by all accounts probably to mourn, maybe to, to anoint his body, somehow to care for his body, but to come and to weep and to cry and say, this was, this was our friend, this was our Lord. This is Mary Magdalene, the one who has a pretty checkered past, who had thrown herself on Jesus' feet and wept and washed his feet with, with her tears and dried them with her hair. He had completely changed her life. And now he's dead. Man, that's hard. A friend told me the other day, it's hard to watch someone die. That's true, isn't it? Some of you know that. Some of you know how hard it is to watch someone die. And the question I think that Mary and Mary and many of Jesus' followers at the time were asking is, is there any hope now? This thing that we've been putting all of our hope into, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Son of God. We thought he was someone who had come to do something much bigger than this, and now he's dead. What do we do? Is there hope in our life? That's a good question. That's actually not just a religious question. That is a human question. Is there any hope? Is there anything for me to hope in that's that's bigger than me? Is there a future that's actually worth hoping in? Or do I just turn to cynicism? Or do I just kind of pretend that everything is okay? It's actually the reason why we named our church Hope Presbyterian. is because it's not just a biblical word. It is saturated uh, with hope in the, the Bible. But it's also just a human word. It's something that we all deal with. We all want to know if there's hope. Let me tell you about this town called Barrow, Alaska. If anybody's ever heard of Barrow, Alaska, it is the northernmost town in the United States. It's on the coast. It's a coastal town, where you would think it's beautiful, except it's on the coast of the Arctic Ocean. So it's a little bit chilly. Um, it does not look like Southern California, the other coastal towns that you might be, con- uh, that you might be familiar with. Uh, in Barrow, it gets down to 40 below zero pretty regularly. And from about mid-November to the end of January, there's no sun. It's just dark all the time. So as you could guess, for the 5,000 people, can you believe 5,000 people live in this place? For the 5,000 people that live in Barrow, Alaska, particularly for about two months, I mean, 
Is there anything more depressing than negative 40 and completely dark all the time? Well, because of that, you know, there was a lot of depression in this town. There was a lot of dropouts uh, in high school. The dropout rate in high school was sky high. And all of the officials were trying to figure out in this town, like, how do we, how do we change this? How do we, like, inject some sort of hope into this town? And they actually polled the high school students and they said, you know what we want? We want a football team. So they actually created a football team in Barrow, Alaska, where it is too cold to grow grass, where trees don't grow because the wind is too strong and it's too cold. They actually formed a football team and they had this amazing uh, artificial turf field that had to be shipped in from across the ocean where they put down there and they play football. And they have to fly to all of their games and their opponents have to fly in to see them. But they are now 10 years into a football program and they're actually pretty good. But what's happened is not just that they've become a pretty decent football program. What's happened actually is that there's hope now in this town. The dropout rates have greatly decreased. The, the, the number of, um, of, of, of reported depression is, is greatly decreased. The rates of alcoholism and drug abuse have greatly decreased. And it's because there's hope. They have something to look forward to. Friends, that is what we see when we see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These women come and they are mourning. And you know what? There's a lot to mourn about. If, you, if the Bible just stopped at, at Matthew 27, it would still be really true. You can look out in the world and you can say, you know what? There's a, there's a lot of brokenness here. There's a lot of brokenness in my heart. There's a lot of brokenness in my family. There's a lot of brokenness in my city. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. And you don't have to look far to look and to find deep hurt and pain and difficulty. And like we said in our confession of sin, like that is our story. That is part of the story. Life is not the way that it's supposed to be. But the beauty of the resurrection, the reason why there's hope, is because that is not the end of the story. The Bible doesn't end at Matthew 28 or 27. There is Matthew 28 where Jesus gets up, the one who was dead and crucified, gets up and he appears to these people and everything changes. The world completely changes. Christians have believed for 2,000 years that this is the single most important event in all of human history. And friends, if it's true, it is. A dead man got up and walked around again. A man who claimed to be the Son of God got up and in doing so defeated death. And the Bible says that if we place our trust in Him, that death is defeated in us as well. The hope of the resurrection is that we actually have something other than just this life to look to. Is that there is hope for life outside of this. There's hope for the future. There is a good end to the story of the world. And there's hope even as we face the difficult things in our lives. So that's the first thing. If, if we are those who know the risen Christ, then we are those who have been given hope, even in the midst of hopeless situations. Here's the second one. If we are those who have come to know the risen Christ, then we are also those who have been given something to live for. So not just something to look forward to, but actually something to live for now. Now there was a survey done in 2016. It was a survey done from 18 to 24 year olds. So it's a couple of years old, but, but basically the same group of people. And they were asking this question, you know, what does it mean for your life to have purpose? And these are interesting results. 86% of those who, who were polled said that making decisions that are in line with their purpose in life makes them an adult. 
86% vast majority said that making decisions that are in line with my purpose in life, that's, that's what actually makes me feel like I'm a grown-up. It's what makes me feel like I'm an adult. What makes me feel whole in many ways. But listen to this. 43% said that they have a clear picture of what they want in life. 36% said that their career path aligns with their life purpose. 30% know why they're here. So the vast majority of them believe that actually making decisions in line with their purpose is actually what makes them whole, what makes them an adult. But the vast minority of them actually know that purpose. That's something that also is, is relevant not just for church people, but for all people. We, we want to have a purpose in life. We want to know like what life is about. Why am I here? Why do I do the things that I do? What drives me? Why do I get up in the morning and what gives purpose to my, to my work or to my family or to my parenting or to my activity, my relationships in the world? What actually gives that purpose? Well, this is really interesting. If you look at these two women, what happens in Matthew 28, these two women actually run into Jesus, right? The, the angel sends them away to go tell uh, his disciples and on the way, Jesus actually meets them. And what do they do? The first thing that they do is that they fall down and they worship him. They grab a hold of his feet and they worship him. And we're told actually that they are, they are filled with both fear and with joy. Worship is an interesting, is an interesting idea. If, if, you're, if you're new to church, that idea is probably a weird idea to you. But the truth is, we all worship something. We all have something that drives our life. Worship in many ways is the same as having a purpose in life. There's a uh, theological document written in the 17th century called the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it was just a bunch of people who got together and they said, we want to know what the Bible says about all of these things. And they put it all together. It's actually the document, the, the theological document that our church actually bases our beliefs upon. But the first thing that they wrote when they wrote this little question and answer uh, called a catechism in order to teach themselves and teach their children, the first question was, what is the chief end of man? What's the purpose of mankind? What is, each of our, what is our purpose in life? And the answer was to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see how purpose and worship go hand in hand there? To glorify God and enjoy Him is actually our chief end. Now, Matthew tells us that these two women were filled with fear, or another translation of that could be awe. They were filled with awe, and they were filled with joy. That's actually a pretty good description of worship. Awe, the glorifying of God, the understanding of who God is and who we are, the falling down before His feet, and the joy... The enjoyment of God. If you don't have awe, you don't have worship, right? If you don't understand who God is and who Jesus is, if you don't understand the gulf that is between us and God and our need for Jesus to, to cross that gulf, if we don't understand that, if we don't come to him with awe, then we don't come to him with a proper sense of glorifying him. And there's not, there's, our worship is, is broken in some ways. But if you don't come with joy, if it's only awe and there is no joy, then you have not heard the whole gospel, which is that this Jesus was raised and he's done so for us, that he has come to lavish his love and his grace on us, that he has come to forgive us, to reign victorious, to give us a new life, to, to call us his own. Man, that is joyful. That is glorifying and enjoying the Lord. And that is actually what gives us purpose in life. 
It is when we understand that we are called in all things to glorify and enjoy God that we can kind of be freed to do so in our work life, in our careers, in our jobs. It gives us purpose. What do I do if I'm an accountant or if I'm, I'm in a doctor, if I'm a doctor, if I'm a custodian, if I'm a homemaker, if I'm a student, any of those things, we can say, well, my first calling, my first, the first thing I know to be true is that I'm here to glorify God and to enjoy him in doing this. In our family, same thing. In child rearing, if you're a parent. In our relationships, it's glorifying God and enjoying him. So there's the second thing that we learn. If we're, if we're those who have met the risen Christ, who know the risen Jesus, then he actually gives us a purpose for our life, both hope for the future and a purpose even for our life now. Here's the third and final thing, is that knowing Jesus, knowing the risen Jesus, also changes the way that we go about life because we now have been given someone to trust we actually can trust God in a world that we live in with friends. Which, I mean, friends, if you turn on the television, there are not a whole lot of trustworthy people out there, right? A lot of the people that have been placed in positions of power uh, in our lives, we can just see them falling and falling and falling. And it can, it can do something to your heart. It can make you look around and say, man, is, is anybody trustworthy? Can I put my hope and my trust in anybody? Well, God's word says, yes, we can put it in him. Look at this. This is great. I love this. This angel comes and he rolls away the stone and then he sits on it, which I don't know why he sits on it, but that's just kind of funny. He sits on the stone. And then when the woman, come, when the women come, he's talking to them and he says this, he says, Jesus isn't here, by the way, in case you're going to go look for him. He's not here. He is risen as he said he would. Right. By the way, he told you he was going to do this. He's risen just like he said. And Jesus didn't just say this once, you know, he said it quite a few times. Matthew 12, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Matthew 17, as they were coming down from the mountain, after transfiguration, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Matthew 17, 23, just a few verses later, they will kill me, I'll be raised on the third day. Matthew 20, they'll deliver me over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and I will be raised on the third day. And then Matthew 26, just very recently, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus had been telling his disciples over and over, I'm going to die. They didn't believe him. And I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised. I'm going to come back to life. They didn't believe him. That's great. This angel, isn't it? Saying like, hey, remember, he said so. He's going to be raised. And he has. That's really good news for us. Because it actually means that we have proof now that we can trust God. Jesus has done what he said he would do. And we can trust him that he will continue to do the things that he says he will do. Because of the resurrection, because of the, the proof of the resurrection, we actually get to transfer our trust from ourselves or, or from our wealth or from our success or from how many people like us. We get to transfer that now to Jesus. Even in the times that are difficult. Right? We even get to look and say, look, when the Bible says that God is at work in me, when the Bible says that God is at work in me and he's changing me, that he's sanctifying me, that he's making more, me more like Christ, like I can believe that's true even when it feels like I'm totally stagnant. 
Even when it feels like nothing at all is happening, I still get to trust that that is true. I get to trust that it's true when the Bible says that God has lavished his love and his grace upon me. That he has poured out that love and that grace on me in immeasurable ways, even when it feels like I'm not very lovable. I get to trust that the Bible is true when it says that you have been made a son and a daughter of the king. You have been adopted. You have been brought into his house. You have been welcomed. You belong to Jesus. I can believe that that's true even when I feel like I'm an orphan. Friends, we can trust God because of the resurrection. Jesus has said that he is going to do something and he has done what he has said he is going to do. That gives us great trust. That totally changes the way that we can lean on the Bible. I want to close with this story that some of you may have heard me tell before. Uh, In the summer of 1996, I worked at this camp in northern Alabama called Alpine Camp for Boys. I was a counselor. And like many camps, like T-Bar-M or other camps around here, they had a a high ropes course, which is um, basically you're doing all of this stuff kind of up in the air, about 30, 40 feet in the air, and it's pretty frightening. And there's this uh, this one element that they called the dangle do. And if you could just picture this in your mind, like a rope ladder, Except the rungs of the ladder were, were big telephone poles. And the ladder was probably 40 feet tall, totally, just extending into the, into the sky. And it was held together by these you know, thin um, little cables. So cables coming down here and telephone poles are the rungs of the ladder. Okay? You're supposed to climb the ladder. Except what happens is, you know, when you're down kind of on the ground, the distance between the first two rungs of the ladder is like two feet. And as you go to the next two rungs, it's like two and a half feet. And it, it, it begins to expand the further up you go. So that when you are 30 feet in the air, you're trying to get to the next rung and it's higher than you can reach. And you have to jump and grab it and crawl yourself up and do all of this suspended in the middle of the air with this thing that's wobbling everywhere, scared to death. It, it is one of the most utterly frightening things I've ever done. It is frightening at least until you finally realize, I got a harness on i got this rope that's connected to me, and there's this guy down there that has done this before, and he has said that he is going to take care of me, and he's a person that I can trust. And that totally changes the way that you live on the dangle do, and it totally changes the way that you live your life. You know, the fascinating thing that Jesus says to these women, the, the first thing he says is hi, which I think is pretty great. Greetings. The second thing he says is don't be afraid. You don't have to fear. I'm the one who has come to defeat death. I'm the one who's come to give you real hope in this life and in the next. I'm the one who has come to give you a real purpose in this life. I'm the one who has come and done what I said that I would do. You don't have to fear. That is the beautiful welcome that we have been given in Christ. So let me just ask you this. Have you met the risen Jesus? If the answer is no, this is a great time to start to wrestle with that. To deal with who Jesus is. To deal with this idea of hope and purpose and trust. I'm happy to talk with you about any of those things afterwards. If you have, it's a fabulous time also to get to know that Christ better. To deepen your hope in Him. To deepen your trust in Him. To see once again that He is the one who gives us purpose in life. That He is the one who calls us to put all of our chips on the table and on Him. And that He is the one who will deliver. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, what a beautiful, beautiful truth that we get to proclaim this morning. That you've been raised. <laughs> Lord, it's amazing we read this story and we see these guards who are there to guard the dead man. And this incredible thing happens where the dead man becomes alive and the guards become like they're dead. Father, will you do something like that in our hearts? That you might stun us with the resurrection. That you might do so so that we might have both awe of you and great joy. So that we might trust you more deeply. So that we might come to love you more fully. Thank you for Easter. We pray in Jesus' name.